So today we're going to look at Romans chapter 8 and verses 28 through 30. Romans 8, 28 through 30. I, I reckon that this is a passage that uh, the first, first verse especially is one that most of you have heard many, many times. But uh, it's, I always find it surprisingly edifying to return and look in depth at some of those favorite passages. And so here's what the Word of God says to us. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. This is God's Word. Let's pray. O oh Lord, our God in heaven, please speak to us tonight through your word. We thank you, O oh Lord, that for every aspect of your word, but we thank you especially for passages like this, which, which with such clarity and wonder and glory remind us of all that you're doing for us and have done for us and have planned for us from all eternity and will do from all eternity. So, Lord, we give you praise and thanks for your word. Give us, send your spirit to us as we have prayed already through Psalm 51 to awaken our hearts to you, to be able to appreciate your goodness and trust in you all the more, and be able to love and serve those around us by the power of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the whole of Romans chapter 8 is a beautiful passage describing the glory and wonder of what God has done for us, and particularly in making us sons and daughters of God. But one of the great questions that people have about uh, this about us becoming sons and daughters of God is what about the bad things that happen to us in life? I was thinking of a woman that I know uh, from South Dakota, and uh, her she had married. Um, she was a Ukrainian. She married a, a an American, and so she ended up moving to Rapid City, South Dakota, and all her family all her family's there. And um, it's interesting. A lot of Ukrainians uh, like me like to go to Egypt on their vacation. And uh, so it was interesting to hear, hear about that. And so I recently was thinking about her. But I was thinking about her and many like her who after the, the fall of the, of the Iron Curtain in the Soviet Union uh, began, were able to hear the gospel for the first time became Christians. And there are many of them in the nation of Ukraine. There's many churches that have been planted. There's many also in Russia. Uh, and... And one of the things they might ask is, here we've come to believe in Jesus. Here we've come to, to trust in him. And now look at our situation. Our country is in shambles. We're being bombed. Our, our people are having to flee. People are being killed. So you want to make it this, this passage real. That's what we're talking about. Where is the love of the Father when your nation is being devastated? Now, we have all sorts of things, though, that, that bother us and, and, and trouble us on a day-to-day basis, right, that, that cause us to, to, you know, we may not always explicitly say it, but cause us to wonder, you know, where is God leading us or we just don't think about it? Is anything good going to happen to me? And into this, into this statement, into the, this issue, the Apostle Paul speaks to them and tells them that they can be confident. And it say, he says that, and we know that 
In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now notice it doesn't say here that in spite of the bad things, God is still going to bring about good, which is definitely true. But here it says he's working in all things to bring about the good. So even in the hardest, toughest, most difficult, most horrifying things, the Lord's purposes are not finished. They're not absent. He's still working even there. Now, that's a hard word. I mean, it's not... When we're talking to someone uh, like Snezhana and, and her family or some other Ukrainian, we're not going to say, Hey, don't worry. God's working in this for the good. You know, that's not the first thing you're necessarily going to say to them. Okay? They've got to enter into grief and deal with the sadness, and we need to come alongside them to mourn with those who mourn. But when we do think about it, though, when we, we can reflect on it a little bit more, then to recognize that even in situations that are really, really hard, like what the apostles faced, the apostle Paul, read the book of 2 Corinthians, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was shipwrecked, he, he's got his clothes taken from him, he had no food. I mean, it's like a long list. Even in there, God was working. And that's the message that we have tonight, that God is working, working. Now, this is not easy to work out. The Psalms are filled with people who are struggling to figure out that God is still at work, even in hard circumstances. Job, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, said that blessed is the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. But then he spent like the next three chapters, the next week, like going off on all the things he's struggling with, with God. So, it doesn't come easy. And even Jesus, as we, we heard tonight and we, as we looked at last uh, Sunday morning, he himself had to struggle, right? He's in agony as he's working out. Is the Father's purpose good? Not to get to the point where he could say, not my will, but your will be done. That I trust your purpose. It's a struggle. It's a battle. But it is verses like this and thoughts like this that can give us the, the ability to continue in faith even in the darkest times. And so I want us to look at this passage more in detail just to expand on what it means they're God's purpose. And we're going to look at first, oh, we're going to look at first God's purpose, second God's people, and then thirdly, let's see. God's process. It printed two-sided, and I'm not sure what my other part of my... Oh, there it is. Okay. All right, so God's purpose. So what I want you to so first, God's purpose, God's people, and God's process. That's what we're going to see here, the description to kind of delve into the confidence we can have in our Father in heaven. So the first thing of God's purpose, we see that, that it's this purpose of what God wants to do, his goal is described in three different ways in this passage. The first way is that God's purpose is to do us good. We know that in all things, God works for the good. So that's one way he describes his purpose. What does he want to do for us? He wants to do us good. He wants to do good things. You know, the great, one great thing about people who are really extroverted is that they will tell you the feelings that all of us are thinking on the inside but don't want to say. 
And I remember I had a, a buddy who was, who was really extroverted. His name was David. And uh, he, he struggled with a lot of things, financially and health-wise and all this. And he, he needed a car. And he found a Jaguar for like 2500 bucks, And he couldn't afford it. He couldn't quite afford it. And he, and he was so mad at God. Why can't I get anything good? He said. Now, David was honest and open and transparent enough to say that. But I think we all think that. I know I've thought that. When things aren't going right, I can easily say, why don't I get anything good? But he said this, and that's kind of our thought. But what we need to see is that God is telling us that his heart is, wherever it might appear in the moment, whatever it might appear in relationship to our desires, is that his heart is to do us good. And so when we, when we have our struggles, when we have our goals, and we think they don't see them coming about, when we see that things don't work out the way we would like, we have a rock to stand on that God is going to do good things for us. He wants to do good things for us. He wants to do good. If things don't work out as we want in our government, in our church, in our state, in our family, in our school, in our business, in our, in, our, in our own personal lives, we can be confident that whatever's going on, God's got a purpose and it is good. So that's the first thing we see. God's purpose is to do us good. The second way he describes his purpose is God's purpose is to conform us or make us like Jesus, his son. Look at verse 29. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so he made, he, he, what he's saying here is like his purpose for us is in the type of people we are. It is in, he wants to make us into people who are like Jesus. Now, how did Jesus become the person that he was? Through suffering. It says in the book of Hebrews, amazingly, he learned obedience to the things that he suffered. That's a hard things to get your mind around. But the point is, he went through a lot of challenges. And he kept meeting them. And he kept meeting them. And he kept trusting his father. And he kept doing good. And that's what God is doing with us. So one of the answers to the reasons why he gives us suffering or challenges or things don't go the way we want, it's because it's more important for us to learn to trust the Lord when things go wrong than to get what we want. Because that's what Jesus experienced. That's what Jesus was like. When we think of what Jesus is like, he was one who trusted the Lord at all times, and he was one who was always ready to engage with people, ready to give, ready to serve, but not in a way that he demanded anything back. He didn't need people's acceptance, but he was willing to be with people and willing to love them because he lived out of the abundance of the love of his Father. And so that's what God is doing. We ask, when we need to understand, like, what's going on? What, what is happening today? Why is what is happening today happening? Because God, the Father, has a purpose to make us like Jesus. And so we need to think of what is happening in terms of that purpose. Third, God's purpose is to bring us to glory. Look at verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. 
Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now, what is man's chief end? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever, right? But it's interesting that here, in a slightly different sense, God wants us to have glory. He has said, those whom he justified, those he called, those whom he justified, he also glorified. He gave them a glory. And God is going to glorify you. He's bringing you to a glorious triumph where uh, Jesus says that we will shine like the stars of heaven. We will shine in glory. All the good that he's doing inside us right now, like a treasure in a jar of clay, is going to shine and burst forth at our death when our souls go to be with the Lord and when we are resurrected to be with him forever in our bodies. That is the plan that God is working out. And so what do we say? On a day-to-day basis, this is what we need to keep in mind. Whatever else happens today, things, things sometimes go how we want. You know, when I can just check thing after thing off my list, I'm like, yes, yes, this is a good day, right? But then there's days like, I haven't crossed anything off my list yet. But those are purposes. It's good to be thoughtful. We're, in that way, we're like the Lord. We plan, we try to accomplish things, good. But it's subordinated to the bigger plan of the Father, which is to, bring, to do us good, to make us like Jesus, and to bring us to glory. That is what God is doing. Now, who is he doing this to? Let's look at, secondly, God's people and how they're described here. So the first thing is, you notice, it doesn't say that in all things God works for the good of every single human being. We recognize that, that God does good. His mercy fills the earth. But for those who rebel against the Lord and, and say, I will not walk in your ways, I will not repent, I will not believe in Jesus, then they are going to have to face the judgment of God. That is their sad and difficult decision and choice, and they will be condemned. But then there is other people, and as we're going to see, not because there was anything better in them, who, for whom God works for the good. And here's how they're described. The first thing I want you to see is that they are the people who are called. They are the people who are called. It says, they are those who, he works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. So notice the word called, and you see it again there in verse 30. This calling is when God says to the human race, lost in sin, opposed to him, come out of that and trust in Jesus, repent of your sin, and be, accept a status as my child, as a son and daughter. Accept Jesus as your Savior, accept Jesus as your Lord, and that call is going out all throughout the world. But of course, we know sadly that there's a lot of people who don't accept that call. And so when it talks about people who are called, it's not just talking about people who hear that call, but generally uses that term in, in the Apostle Paul, uses that term to describe someone who's call, who has accepted that call, who has said yes when Jesus is offered. That is the called person. He now has a calling to live as a child of God and to move on towards glory. So he is a called person. And that happens in a variety, in a variety of times, in a variety of places for different people. My father did not grow up as a believer, for example. Um, and, and 
did not embrace Jesus Christ, but when he was a teenager, he got invited to a revival meeting. Remember those? <laughs> Sometimes they still have those, a revival meeting. And, and he came down and he asked Jesus into his heart. And he said, I want you to be my Savior and Lord. And so he's been a, he has been following the Lord since then. That was when he was time, time he was called out. For me, it was a little different. Now, I, I did go down the aisle um, to pray to receive Jesus over and over and over and over again. I mean, maybe like a thousand times while I was a kid, make, just to make sure. You know, but looking back on it and having a little more perspective, I realized like God was working in my heart from a young age. I don't know the precise age, but, I, but really I don't remember a time when I didn't see my sin, my need for Jesus, and want to follow him. And so I, for a lot of us who grow up in the church, that's actually the experience that we have. And sometimes we're not always clear on that, but that, I think that that's how it works for a lot of the children of the church. The Lord's working in them from, from a young age, but they're called. They're called. So that's what that means. Now they're a child of God. But notice, then secondly, these people are described as those who love God. When God calls us out of darkness into light, we become, instead of haters of God, lovers of God. Those who, who love God. Notice, look, listen again to what it says in 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. That we are the people who love God. And that's how we should see ourselves. We're not just people who have been saved, but we are the lovers of God. And what does it mean to love God? What does it mean when you love someone? Again, I think that term has been so cheapened in our day that sometimes you know, we don't know really what we're talking about. But because uh, we, you know, like, yeah, I love everybody, which means that like I don't have a specific desire to harm them. Maybe, you know, I feel okay. But really, when we're talking about love, we're talking, and we we know this. We're talking about people who want to be together. They they value them and they want to have connection. And so, love when we love God, we want to have communion with Him. We want to have fellowship with Him. We want to know Him. But then also, when we love God, we're concerned about. That, the things that interest God. And that should be that when we love God, that's our heart. That we care not just about ourselves, not just about our relationship with God, but the things that God cares about. And that's what God teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, right? He's, t- he's telling us this is the heart of love for God. That when we pray, we ask our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven because that's what you want and so I want it too. When we love someone, we're concerned that they about the things that concern them. We want to see them do well. We want to see them. We want to see them prosper, right? And so we want to see the things of the Lord. So they're called. They love God, but notice also that they are, of course, loved by God. And that's really a huge theme in this passage, which concludes, as we'll see in a couple weeks, with that confident declaration that we are confident that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And one of the reasons for that is because, as it's described in here in verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined. Now this term, foreknew, does not simply mean in the Bible just that he knew about, to have kind of a bare knowledge of. So we can say, you know, that we, ha- we know a fact. So that God knew that we were going to exist. In the Bible, the, often in the Hebrew and Greek language, the word to know means more having an affection and having a a desire for and a love for. So, for example, 
in Genesis, this is in the Hebrew, not in the Greek, because this is written. But Adam, in the, in the, you can see this in the old King James, he knew his wife Eve. And she had a child. That didn't mean that he'd just say, huh, there's a woman. And then as soon as he knew that, she had a child, right? It meant something a little bit more than that. So you see, that's what, that's what the, it's not just husband and wife, but it's, a, it's an intimate relationship. And so when it says God foreknew, it says that he looked down the quarters of time, saw that we would sin against him, and, and chose that we would be brought back to him because he loved us, not because we deserved it. And so God's people are loved by God. That's the ones for whom this purpose is working out. It's not for everyone. Though we say to anyone who is not a child of God today that you can become one today. All you have to do is accept it. It's an offer that God will accept you into his kingdom as the doors are wide open. Come unto me, all who are labor and heavy laden. Jesus says, anybody can come. But once we have come, then we can know that this purpose is for us. Once we have accepted Jesus, we can see that he has this purpose for us. What is that purpose? To do us good, to do us, to make us like Jesus, and to bring us to a glorious place. That's the people whom God is working for. Now, how does he bring this about? Let's look then thirdly at God's process. Because this passage tells us some important truths about how God brings this about. So the first thing we see is that God's process began in all eternity. What we see is that purpose, that, that when God acts, it starts in his mind, you might say. Now, we're speaking like a human being. You know, this is way, 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 way above what we're talking about, but it's a way of us understanding it. So when he had the purpose, it says that, it says that for those whom God foreknew, he also, be pre, knew, he also predestined. This means that this was long before they were there. He had a purpose. He had a purpose for us. When Paul wrote this, God had a purpose for you and for you. You, you didn't exist. Nobody else knew about you, but the Father knew about you. And he had a purpose for you. He had a plan for you. That's what this is talking about. And it began eternity. It began his mind. You see, we're like that. My wife is, is doing some work on our deck. And you know she has and when she and when she decided to do this, she didn't just randomly start hacking at things. She had a plan in her mind. She had a picture of where she wanted to go. But then she had a problem. How do I get there? And then she realized like I need this tool. And then how do I get this tool? Well, I'll put it up on Facebook and ask if anybody needs, has this tool. Nobody had this tool. So then we have the store. What's the one? Where'd you get that? Uh, Harbor Freight. And so she went and she procured that tool. And she studied how to do it. So you see, but it was all according to the purpose. That's what we're talking about here. God, we reflect, the, we reflect God. We're the image of God. And so God had a purpose. He has something he's doing in the world. He's bringing it about. And so, but it began in his mind. It began all eternity. God had a plan. Now, God's process began all eternity, but it is carried out in time. Notice that he says in verse 30 that those who he predestined, he also called. So he had the, 
the plan, predestined, think plan. And so he called it out. At the right time, he enabled you to hear the gospel, and he worked faith in your heart so you would respond. That's when you were called. That happens in time. It didn't happen before time. It didn't happen in God's mind. It happened in his creation, and God interacting his creation. But when he called you then, he justified you. That's what it says. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And so then you were, when you were called, you accepted Jesus. What's the main benefit that you get? You're justified. What does it mean to be justified? It means to be declared righteous. It's the opposite of being condemned. You're either guilty or you're righteous. You're declared guilty, you're declared righteous, you're condemned, or you're justified. Really, really important word, my friends. It's, it's a little bit hard to understand, but it's like super important. And if we can get it, there's so much wonder in it. And actually, we're gonna, the third sermon, we're going to talk about it in depth. So we'll come back to that. But the point is that the, when, someone, when, when the Father calls someone to Jesus, they get declared right, perfectly righteous as if they had never done anything wrong, as if they had done everything Jesus had done. And, and they get Christ's verdict instead of the one they deserve because of their sin. That is justification. And it doesn't stop there. God could just forgive us and then said, now you no longer exist. But he had more plans. And he says, I'm going to glorify you. And so that is, again, what we already talked about. He'll lead to glory. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. So that leads us to to the point about this process, that God's process will be infallibly carried out. It will be carried out infallibly, that is, without fail. When he has a plan, he carries it out. When he says, I want to do something, there's no one who can say to him, you can't do this. There's no one who could keep his hand back and say, you can't accomplish what you want to. We have many purposes that that fail. When God decides he's going to do something, nobody can stop him. It doesn't matter how many tanks they have. It doesn't matter how many missiles they have. It doesn't matter how much money they have. It doesn't matter how many resources they have. They cannot stop the purpose of God. Notice how this is described here. It says that those whom he predestined, he also called. So if you've been predestined, you're going to be called in time. There's going to come a point when you're brought to Jesus. Then, if you're called, you're going to be justified. Then if you are justified then you will be glorified. And there is no break in that chain. Everyone who has, if you have one of those, you're going to have all of them. That is God's purpose for his people. So when God says that I'm going to do good to you, that I'm going to make you like Jesus, that I am going to glorify you, that purpose is not going to fail. That is what God is doing in history. We don't need to have any doubt that God will stop or any, that he will make us his people. That what he started, he'll begin. We don't have to think that one day we won't be his people. We don't have to think that someday he'll leave us or forsake us. Indeed, even the hard things contribute to this goal. Now, when I was thinking about how to just drive this home as kind of in a conclusion... Let me, uh, I was thinking about the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, which probably a lot of you know. But she was a young girl, was in a diving accident, and became a quadriplegic 
What that means is all four of your limbs do not work. That is a pretty devastating setback, huh? You know, there's so many things we take for granted. When I got COVID, I lost my sense of smell for a little bit. And I was like, sheesh, I, I didn't realize how much that contributed to my happiness in life. You know? Like, I, never, I had literally never thought about it in my entire life. And then I lost it. It was like that. Well, imagine losing, I mean, but I got it back. I have it. So thank, and I'm thankful for it in a way that I wasn't before. But think about losing the use of all four of your limbs. I mean, that is serious. And I read, the, I read her description of, uh, of this in a book on gratitude. And she said she's one who's, who's, who's had to live with gratitude because she has to say thank you all the time, all the time. Because she said, so many people do things for me or to me. As a quadriplegic in a wheelchair, someone has to help me out of bed. Someone has to pour the coffee, get me dressed, brush my hair, brush my teeth, blow my nose, etc., that is rough. Everybody agree with that? So she talks about giving thanks. And she points to two different verses. And one says, give thanks in all things. In other words, and I think that this is kind of something that we can get. That we can say that when things go wrong, that we can still see some, some of the good, right? When, when we have bad things, there's still good things. In almost every situation, right? And so she talks about that, learning to be, to be grateful. But then there's a, someone says, be thankful for all things. Be thankful for all things. It's a wholly different phrase. And so then she had to say, can I be thankful for my quadriplegia? I think I said that correctly. Can I be thankful that I'm a quadriplegic? And listen to what she says. She said, maybe this wheelchair felt like a horrible tragedy in the beginning, but I give God thanks in my wheelchair. I'm grateful for my quadriplegia. It's a bruising of a blessing, a gift wrapped in black. It's the shadowy companion that walks with me daily, pulling and pushing me into the arms of my Savior. And that's where the joy is. Because it brought her back to her real purpose is to find joy in her Savior. And I would add, she's done tons of other good things. Like, tons of stuff. She hasn't let it stop her. It's really kind of humbling <laughs> to think that all this she's done. But in a way, she probably would never have done a lot of those things if she'd not been in that situation. She wouldn't ask for it, but God has still used it. He's working all things, in all things, working for the good. So let me, let me just ask you to consider one thing as, a, as I'm closing here, just this kind of application. I'm sorry, I always try to think, you know, what, what would, if people accepted what I was saying about the message, what would I want them to do differently? <laughs> and then if I can't answer that question, I said, then probably nobody else would be able to either. Though God is gracious and he uses sermons in all kinds of ways for his own purposes, right? But, so here's my thought. Just think about, what happens when things go wrong? Now, some of the things that go wrong, you're probably okay with. But there's probably other things that go wrong, especially when they start mounting up, that really just throw you off. What is your thought when things go wrong on a day-to-day basis? That's the question. Do you, do you just think about the things 
and let them kind of determine how your mood is, how your thoughts are, where you are with the Lord, where you are with other people? Or in the midst of those things, do you think, you know, this is not what I wanted, but I know that even here, God has a purpose to do me good, to make me like Jesus, and to bring me to glory. I know for me, a lot of times, that's not my first thought. <laughs> but I think if, if it could be, I think I'd be able to live in much greater joy with the Father, much greater freedom of service, and be able to show forth His glory. And that's what we can do. That's the resource that I'm giving you tonight through this word, that the Lord is giving you through this passage. Now, how can we really, really, really be certain, though, that God's purpose, especially in those really hard times, is really, really, really to do us good? To find out, you have to come back next week.